Father, I, I would ask that you would forgive us when we don't have a grateful heart. Yes, Lord. God, that we would take nothing for granted. We would see nothing as um, coincidence, Father. But we would see your hand of protection, your hand upon us, provision, healing, that you're the banner over us, God. So we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have given us one another as in the body of Christ. Father, that we don't travel through this world alone or without you. God, I pray that as we come together, as there are congregations all over this land coming together today, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, God. Father, we lift up those that are considered the persecuted church, Father. Those all over this world, God, who seek to worship you in spirit and truth as well. God, they do it under penalty of death, under penalty of jail. Father, they would be thrown out of their families, out of their cultures, God. Father, those that are suffering in your name today, we ask, God, that you would comfort them, that they would lift their eyes to you, Father, that you would, Father, see them through. Encourage their faith today, God. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you today, God. Father, that we would never take it for granted. And God, I thank you that you've given us your son and that you have made a way for us to be restored back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
that hope, God, that your love would never give up on us. Father, your word declares that your love endures forever. And Father, it's your loving kindness that draws us to repentance. Your word declares that you first loved us. And your word gives us understanding that it's because of your love that you sent your one and only Son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Thank you, Father. God, that you are for us and not against us. Thank you, Father, that You've made a way for us to be reconciled back to you through your son Jesus. That we now can be at peace with you, our creator. So Father, we gather this morning, Lord, in your presence. I pray that we are hungry for your word. And that you would give us a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness, for your name's sake. So Holy Spirit, we, we thank you that you are our comforter, our teacher, and our guide. And we pray that we would not live a life that would grieve you, but a life that would walk with you. That we would obey the teachings of Christ as you lead us. And that we would keep our eyes focused and fixed upon what's ahead. So come, Lord, have your way among us and in us and through us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Repentance. Again, these three R's I've been holding up in front of us throughout this year. Repentance, resolve, and release. We need a good foundation, uh, an understanding of how... Vital it is of what repentance means so that it is active in our lives and that it's just not a word that we hear, but it's what we apply to our lives daily. And, and we recognize that we're not doing it in and of our own, but again, it's the Lord's loving kindness that draws us to repentance. Apart from that, we're not repenting. Apart from that, when we say we're sorry, it really means nothing. We may feel bad, but unless our change, unless our behavior changes, we're not repenting. That's what repentance is. It's a changed behavior. It's a new way. It's going a, 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 another way instead of remaining where you're at. True repentance. You can understand if you've really are repenting when you see transformation. And again, it has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with Him. It's His loving kindness that draws us to repentance. And think about that for a second. Think about what you hear other people say about God. Think about how maybe before you came to Christ, you thought about God, or maybe you haven't come to Christ and you're sitting here at some point, you're listening to this, and you have the wrong image of God, and yet you feel the presence of God 
drawing you, and yet you're resisting Him. Because you have a wrong understanding of who He is. It is this loving kindness that brings you to repentance, that leads you to repentance, so that you can be made whole, made complete. That you would experience His his loving kindness, His grace that transforms you. But a lot of people see God, they hold their hands out, they stiff-arm Him, or they have a wrong concept of Him, and so instead of coming and being led to repentance, they resist His loving kindness, because in their mindset, they believe that He's going to deal with them severely. You won't experience the wrath of God unless you are apart from Him at the end. If God is drawing you and leading you to a place of understanding that your life is in rebellion towards Him, it's His loving kindness that's drawing you to Himself so that you can freely receive all that He has for you. Remember, there's no error found in God. Error is found in the created. We're in rebellion to God. We're the ones that desire all of this that's before us. The temporalness to us fulfills us. And we hunger for that more than we hunger for God. So think about the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. Have you just taken time to to think through that, to meditate upon it, to just sit with it? And what does that mean to you? What What is the scripture, what is Jesus saying when he's saying this is the greatest commandment? He's not forcing us to love him. But he understands that apart from him, apart from loving him, we're going to be loving something else. (laughs) We're going to be giving ourselves over to the temporalness of that which we can see, taste, feel. And we're going to be drawn to it and we're going to give ourselves over to it. But all of that is passing away. See, when you become born again, when you're born again of the Spirit, it's the Spirit of God. You're born again into the nature that you were always created to be. You weren't created to remain broken. Jesus came so that you will have life and life and abundance, that you would be restored back to your Creator, that you would have peace with God, that you can live behind the enemy lines, that you can, can see all that's going on around you and not be moved by it, and you can be well firmly rooted in Christ and be about your Father's business, doing the will of God, using the gifts that He has given you, to accomplish the works that he's prepared for you to do. See, your mind and your life be alters from one that is in rebellion towards him to one that loves him. That loves him. 
to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. He becomes all to you. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. And, and I've been telling us for years, the way we have done church, the way it used to be, we just can't do any longer. Like, we've got to live this. It just can't be a form. It just can't be a day. It just can't be a little prayer. No, it is who you are. It is everything about you. And then we're told how the world is going to treat us. The world does not want to hear the word repent. It irritates people. People are in rebellion. They want to do what they want to do and don't tell them any different. Just give me a God that is okay with who I am. Just tickle my ears, make me feel good, and give me some sense of hope of eternity. And that's what people are looking for. They're looking for God to be conformed into their image. But the gospel says you are to be conformed into his image. Oh, we got to wake up. When you understand the times and the days and the age in which we are living, when the Bible warns us, and we'll see this scripture later, and you've heard it over and over and over and over, that in the last days, people are going to fall away and begin to follow teachings of demons, doctrines of demons. You see, we have got to really engage in our new life in Christ. We've got to grow. We've got to mature. That's why I've really been praying for us this year. God, I hope that we don't get to December 31st and we find ourselves right where we were last year, the year before, the day before. There's no growth in us. There's not a greater hunger and love for God. How sad would that be? To hear all year long truth from God's word and then to reject it. Because that's what we're doing. If we're not growing and if we're not maturing, all we're doing is rejecting. We may take a little morsels or little scraps that are on the ground and hold tightly to them, but that's all they are. It's not going to produce something in you. The heart, the soil of your heart. The Bible is very clear. Jesus tells the parable. If your heart is not fertile ground, if it's not the good ground, it's not receiving. You can hear all day long, but it's going to be choked out and it's going to be snatched out. How sad. When your heart should be cultivating a heart for him and for the things of God. Because listen, you're going to be bombarded day in and day out with all these distractions to keep you from God. And if you don't already have a devotional time, a prayer time, if you're already not enjoying fellowship, if you're missing out on being discipled, you've got to ask yourself, why? Don't blame anything. Don't blame your schedule. Don't blame this. Don't blame that. You have to ask yourself. And then please don't 
play the weird Christian game that people play where I'm just a bad Christian. You know, I just can't do anything. No, no, no. Just repent. <laughs> and ask him to give you that desire. In and of myself, God, I don't have it. I never will have it. But God, I know if I seek you, I will find you. Because that's what your word says. If I seek you with my whole heart. So I'm not coming to you, God, to, to take or to get from you. No, I'm just coming to serve you. I don't know how to love you, but God, show me. Like, are you talking to him? You should be in this intimate fellowship with your creator. You, you, you should come before him with that, with fear and, and, and understand that he is a holy God. And yet you can commune with him. You can be in intimate fellowship with him. You can have confidence in all that he is and all that he has done and all that he will be. That you can truly engage with the one who spoke and everything was formed. You're still behind enemy lines. And if you're not maturing and growing, you're going to fall away if you haven't already. There's a lot of people sitting in churches throughout the land, throughout the earth. And unfortunately, the majority of them are not there for the right reasons. And how sad. Don't be counted among them. You're to be different. You are born again. If you're a Christian, you are born again of a new nature. And the foundation of it all is repentance. Because of his loving kindness, he draws you to himself. Remember, God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. And so the lie that we've believed is God is mean, God is this and God is that and I've got I've to be perfect to come to him and we all this junk and yet he says no just come because I know your condition and I love you and I've made a way for you but if you resist me if you keep stiff arming me if you keep doing this religious game that you're playing you are going to feel my wrath and it's not because I'm a bad God. No, it's because I'm a just God. And that's why I am pursuing you. That's why day in and day out, I'm revealing myself to you. Stop resisting me. Like, I have good things for you. <laughs> but if you resist me, then it's on you. It's not on him. It's on you. And all day long, you're bombarded. And I keep saying that word over and over to you because all day long, you are. Relationships, entertainment, thoughts, your past, everything that tries to latch itself onto you, you're engaging in warfare, hopefully. You are actively engaging, not in and of your own strength, but in the power of, of the Holy Spirit of God, who is equipping you to push through and to press on, to advance His kingdom, 
His purpose, for His glory. Because you have the enemy, you have the world, and you have your flesh that are warring against you, that are screaming at you, that's parading itself all around you. And you have to choose this day and every day and throughout the day whom you will serve. And the more that you grow in Christ, the more that you allow your roots to grow down deep, man, the clear, the clear, it becomes more clear of everything and all that he's doing, his purpose, his reasons. And you resisting him becomes less. Because the more that you know him, the more that you submit yourself to him. Because how great he is. He's for us, you all. He's not against us. So repentance. Again, it's nothing that you can conjure up in and of yourself. Oh, you may go, oh, that's bad. Oh, I really shouldn't do this. And then once you do it, you go, oh, I, I feel bad. I'm sorry, God. But you know good and well, your sorry is just empty words. You're not changing. Because the change can only come through him. It can't come through you. It comes through him. As you truly see it for what it is. And you have, as we're going to hear soon, as we've heard throughout the year, that godly sorrow, that Oh, God, why am I attaching my soul to this? And it draws us to a true repentance. And it leads to salvation. Worldly repentance leads us nowhere but to death. So we got to stop playing the game. we got to recognize. And I keep telling us, <laughs> look at what's going on. It's getting crazier by the day. It's getting darker by the hour. I mean, it's insanity running amok out there. The enemy is running overtime. His day is coming where the Antichrist will appear and he will deceive many. The one world government, the one world currency, the one world religion, you can't make this up. Again, years ago, you would hear it be like, uh huh, uh, okay, well, okay. But my God, we're living it. That's what I'm saying. We, we, this isn't just good, you know, weird stories from a book. Like, this is reality. Like, it, does, it doesn't make sense to the lost. But even the lost can't make sense of what's going on. Have, have you begun to see the people who were just a year ago? Pushing all the, the agenda and this and this and that and this. And now they're taking a step back going, wait, this, what are we doing? Like there's so much confusion going on out there. But oh, that you would have the mind of Christ. <laughs> if you're in Christ. And oh, that if you are in Christ, that you're out there sharing the good news. How sad is it if you all are not sharing how sad is it if you're just going along with people just to go along? Like, oh God, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. We need to, we need to be the watchman on the wall. We need to see what's going on. And the reality of the times in which we're living. And it's not for us to be fearful. It's not for us to, to be overwhelmed or anxious. 
it should awaken us. It should awaken us to go, oh, Jesus, like at any moment, he can return. I didn't send it out to everyone, but I sent it out to a few of you. What Jackie sent me last night. And it has to do with this potential tsunami that could take place. And this is something I watched, what, 20 some odd years ago with Ashley, our granddaughter. And it was on like the Weather Channel. So it wasn't some religious weirdo saying it. It was scientists who were warning that in the years to come, that potentially, if this island off of Africa, if the volcano erupts, and if that side of the island collapses into the ocean, it is going to send a tsunami towards the United States and wipe out the eastern coast all the way inland. Gone. There's no time to prepare. There's no time to escape. No time at all. And, I, you know, poor Ashley, for months, she was, like, fearful. She would come every day and, and think of all these ways how we could be safe. And I said, nope, that's not going to work. Nope, that's not going to work. The only safety we have is being in Jesus. There's nothing to escape this. The scientists, the, 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 these people who, who know about all of this, they're like, there's nothing. And they were doing these simulations and showing, and it was like, Oh, my goodness. Well, you kind of laugh it off and like, oh, okay, that's new. But oh, my goodness. Last week, over there, all of a sudden, all these different earthquakes are happening. And if you go to this site, and it's, a, it's an actual government site, if you look at the other earthquakes that are happening all around the world, they're, they're, they're all, they're kind of scattered. They're kind of, in, like if it's in one specific area, like, the, like over in Greece, like if you look at the map, the dots are all over the place. It's all scattered. But if you look at this one place over off the coast of Africa, they're perfectly lined up. It's never been seen before on this map. And they believe it's man-made. They're trying to figure out what is causing, and when I say they, people on the outside. <laughs> they believe it's man-made trying to shift instead of the scientists that reported years ago that they wanted to kind of implode it for it to fall inward instead of outward. This seems, doesn't know if it's going to happen, but the, just the sense of it, no one knows why all these earthquakes are happening in this area and why they are specifically, strategically where they're placed, but that if it keeps shaking, it's not going to fall in, it's going to fall out, and it's going to do the tsunami. I said, Jesus, last night, I said, my God, Lord, that's, that's incredible. Like, listen to the times in which we are living not that I want it to happen, but I just go, it's not far off anymore. If they can create a virus that can bring the world down to its knees, 
if they can do all that they're doing to set up this one world religion, the economic form is taking place next year. I mean, the secularists are telling you, if you're watching the news, if you're listening, they're telling you the agenda that you should already know. And so what on earth is the church doing yoked with the world? Running them up like the days of Noah. Eating, drinking, just carrying on like there's no concern about today or tomorrow. They were concerned when that ark door closed. Because now all of a sudden the reality is, uh-oh. And Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate ark. You should be in Christ. Do not fear. Do not be overwhelmed. Be richly satisfied. And move forward. Day in and day out. Proclaiming the good news. Offering hope. Calling people to repentance. The Bible says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our purpose is to go forth and speak and share the gospel that those will be reconciled to God through Jesus. This is the hope. If all we did was talk about the potential tsunami, the plagues, the one world government, all the chaos and brouhaha that could occur without presenting hope, how sad would it be? I love what the teacher said on Friday night in our Friday night service. It may look like everything's falling to pieces, but actually it's falling into place. And that's how a Christian should view it. That's how you should view it. It's like when you receive a bad report, like yesterday when I look at the blood work and I go, oh goodness. And the majority of the stuff says increase in mortality, increase in mortality, increase in mortality, increase in mortality. It's like receiving a death sentence. But I can choose to be overwhelmed by it, or I can choose to know that I'm in my Father's hands, and no matter what comes my way, He is for me. He's not against me. He has our lives in His hand. And there's nothing that's going to come our way that's going to snatch us out of it. <laughs> or do you have the confidence in the God in whom you say you belong to? That's what I'm hoping we're growing in. As we're growing in Christ, as we're growing as Christians, that we're growing in the confidence and the surety of who He is so that you can walk upright. In the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, the first thing I saw this morning, I sent it out. Carrie's like, well, that's kind of too early in the morning to see. But oh my goodness, there's a whole new world out there called thropples. These couples. But beyond just maybe a man and two women or two men and a woman or whatever. Now you have all these, one's transgender, one's this, one's that. They have hundreds and hundreds of different um, combinations. combinations, but there's another word I'm looking for. Man, female, what are they called? Genders. genders. They have all these genders now. Where on earth, how on overnight did we wake up and now we have hundreds of genders? And they're promoting how they're raising 
children without classifying them as a boy or a girl. They're genderless. And they're promoting it. And everyone's applauding it. And again, it's not that we hate them. I don't hate them. I grieve and go, oh God. Like I, I wept when I looked at that picture this morning. I was like, I, I was like, oh, I grieved for the children. And then I grieved for these three adults who were sitting there. And I just go, but that's where I would have been years ago. Somehow that would have made sense to me years ago. Like apart from Christ, somehow that makes sense. You see, everything is turned upside down out there, you all. Everything is. The world is just shifting and shaking. I watched this young, that Parkland shooting that happened years ago on Valentine's Day. The, the end of the, the trial, he didn't go to trial, this young boy pleaded guilty. But I listened to the prosecutor take step by step by step by step by step of the horrific event that took place in that school. In each account, I was just like, oh, God, what those kids and teachers and everyone must have been going through. And then my heart broke for the shooter. Because I thought, oh dear God, to wake up. And that was his day. He planned that meticulously. He knew. And there was this one scene when he was sitting in the interview room. And he was just saying, just kill me. Please just kill me. And I was just like, ah. What on earth did he give himself over to? He's responsible. But oh God, was there not anyone in his life? Was there not anyone in his life? There's a lot of things wrestling around in the hearts and minds of men and women and children out there. And they have no way of expressing it or exposing it. Oh, that we would be the ones in their lives giving them the outlet to be transparent. Coming alongside of them. Loving them and encouraging them. may not stop any of it, but at least they would have heard truth. I don't know if that kid has ever heard any truth. I just know the pain that he's inflicted on so many people. And he has to live with that the rest of his life. I mean, we got to wake up, you all. It's chaos out there. It's madness out there. But we don't give up and we don't give in. We don't walk around with our heads down. We don't go out screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. <laughs> but we do tell the truth. 
There's one who came. There's an answer for all of this, and his name is Jesus. This earth is passing away. This is not our home. We cannot grow comfortable here. This is not where we belong. We're just here just for a brief time. And while we are here, live you all. Live life to the fullest and impact the lives of others around you. Be kind. Think of others before you think of yourself. Like we, we've got to grow. We've got to be Christians, not just churchgoers. No, we've got to be Christians. And so repentance is vital. It's the action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. Some scriptures I've been putting in front of us. 1 John 1 through 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all ungodliness or unrighteousness. Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times, listen to this, of refreshing may come from the Lord. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Joel 2, 13, rend your heart, not your garments, return to the Lord your God. Listen to this, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Ezekiel 18.32, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 7, 10-11, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance, and it results in spiritual death. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. Repentance, you all. It is vital. It is vital in the life of a believer. And it is necessary for the unbeliever to come to repentance as they are drawn to repentance because of his loving kindness towards them. It's God's love, you all, that draws us to himself and says, I have life to give you. Do not settle for death. Do not settle to remain enslaved and yoked with bondage and decay. That is not who I am. And nothing in this world can compare to his love. It is his love. It's all about his love. God's love endures forever. He is revealing himself. And we should go forth each and every single day Expressing that. Love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering. And if we're not meeting the mark, again, don't beat yourself up and give up. Like, oh, I can never do things right. No, no, get up, press in, 
call upon him, lean upon him, depend upon the Holy Spirit, and grow. You have not because you've asked not. You can't keep allowing your past and your desires and everything else to lead you and to consume you. He is to consume you. He is to lead you. How are you engaging with the tactics of the enemy if you're not engaging with the one who called you into service to stand against him? Not in your own strength. And that's why we can take comfort in Scripture When scripture tells us, submit yourself to God, submit yourself to God, then resist the enemy, and he has to flee. When scripture tells us that he makes a way out of every temptation, temptation in and of itself is not sin. But you just don't let temptation kind of just hang around. And you seek God for the way out. And so there's hope. Do you, do you, are you understanding why this should be treasured? Do you understand how vital it is to get discipled? Just a Sunday morning, a, a Wednesday night, or any time that we're engaging in fellowship, if, if that's all you're depending on, but yet you're not putting anything into practice apart from the time that you're engaging in fellowship? How sad. Because then you're missing out on the fullness of what God has called you for. Like, there's work to be done. And so these scriptures I'm going to share with us this morning to to encourage perseverance, and again, I went over last week how important perseverance is in your life. You're going to face trials. You're going to face downpours. You're going going to face stuff out there. Jesus himself tells us, in this world, world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. Gilda and I were shopping yesterday. And I was sitting in McDonald's. And I haven't had a panic attack in many years. It's been many, many years. But I have felt the whispering of the enemy as I did many, many, many years ago, threatening me. And I said, no, you're not going to panic. You're going to get up, and you're going to live. As long as there's breath in this body, you're going to live. And so as I was walking around Walmart, I was just looking at all the different people. You ever just looked at all the different people? There's so many different people in this world. So many different people. So many different families. I mean, just, just, there's so many. And I was just like, God. We can get so easily distracted by our own lives that we miss out on the reason why we're here. Just to be kind to someone. Just to engage with someone. Just to be a source of hope to someone. And I met this nice lady yesterday in the, in the vegetable section. And we just hit it off. And I so enjoyed that moment with her. I was just like, God, this is what it's about. Just to engage with people. Mm-hmm. But 
we're so consumed about ourselves that we're missing out. So think about the number of people that you've passed or have passed you, or that you're going to go, you're going to, they're going to be around you this week, that maybe they just need Christ in you to be available. <laughs> Christ in you to be available. That you would just grow and that you would be conformed to his image. That you would be his hands and his feet. That you wouldn't let all the distractions keep you from maturing. Because we're living in times. There's no doubt about it anymore. I mean, there really isn't. When you hear how things are strategically lining up, look at Russia, Turkey, China. Look at what's going on. Look how a pandemic has altered our way of life. Look at what's going on in Australia. Look at what's going over on in Italy. Look at everything that's taking place. Look at Canada. Look at all the stuff that's taking place. And you can't make it up anymore. It is actually leading us to the blessed hope that we cling to. His return. That's how we can't fear you all. He's returning. He's coming back for his own. Like there's going to be a day when the eastern sky parts. The trumpets are going to sound. And those who are in Christ are going to be called up. I mean, come on. That's what should excite us. That's why we come to fellowship. That's why we come together. Because we're, we're coming together to encourage, to edify, to build each other up to pray for one another, to worship together, to get discipled, to get out there and serve others. We should be excited when we come into the house of the Lord. We should be engaging with our God through our worship and prayer and with each other. Because there's a way in which we are called to live. And so these scriptures, I hope, will encourage you to persevere to go a little deeper this week, to, to allow your roots to grow down deep, to spend some time in repentance. If you know there's active sin in your life that you just kind of like, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, really, what's it going to hurt? Oh, no, it hurts. It hurts. So grow, mature. Look at this, 2 Timothy. Let's work through these. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And listen, I know people would rather come and hear, you know, something that will just tickle their ears, make them, make it all about me, myself, and I, how I'm going to be blessed and blessed and more blessed. Listen, you're blessed in Christ. And if he blesses you with material things, great. Use them for his service and for his glory. Whatever you have in Christ, you're blessed. If you're just seeking for the handout, <laughs> you don't know Christ. You don't know Christ. Get to know him. Honor him. Love him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Endure suffering along with me as good soldiers. 
Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. First, Chant, yes, I'm in chapter 2. Thank you. <laughs> 3. But we went over those scriptures, I think, last week. Yeah, yeah. They will be. And who are they? Those people in the last days apart from Christ. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that should make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So these scriptures to encourage you to understand what the last days are going to look like. They're going to be godless. People are not going to love God. They would rather love pleasure. They're going to be puffed up with pride. They're going to hate that which is good. And the crazy thing is, is they're going to be sitting in churches. It's an all-out assault. But we must remember, you said, well then, how do I stay hopeful and full of joy? No scripture. Get up and recognize that the gates of hell shall not prevail. The enemy is not going to win. It may look like he's ahead, but he's not. He knows his time is coming. And he's out for destruction, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we have the truth. We're to be the light, pointing people to the life that can only be found in Christ. Again, we're not called to stay away from those who are lost, but we better recognize that those who are sitting among the church calling themselves Christians, and yet they're lying. Bear no fruit. No fruit. (laughs) Stay away from them. They are of no use. And how sad. Call them to repentance. (laughs) And if they refuse to repent, have nothing to do with them. Listen, I told you all last week. The Doctrine of demons, the teachings of demons tells you, oh, don't judge, don't judge, we can't judge. Who are you to judge? Listen, we don't judge the world. They already stand condemned. But we are told, we are instructed to judge those in the church. We are. We're to hold each other accountable. Because we understand the urgency of the hour and how a life that is not bearing fruit can destroy many. Because others would come in, begin to sense a move of God, and then they look at this group of people or this person or that person like, well, if this person can get away with all that, then surely I'm okay. I don't need to be as... Those people who have taken it to the extreme. And all of a sudden, it gets watered down. It gets choked out. 
their arms begin to resist God. And before you know it, they're far from God, yet though they're sitting in his house. It's been a problem from the beginning to the end. It's nothing new under the sun. People who make their hope of salvation in their church attendance. And that is not salvation. Salvation is in Christ, and in Christ there is fruit. He, he tells you. We see it all through Scripture. You're transformed. You are born again. You, it's lasting fruit. It's just not fruit in the season, then everything withers away. It's lasting fruit. Again, it's not a life of perfection, but it's a life of maturing. doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but when you do, you don't remain enslaved to sin. You repent. You get up and you move on. So there's a way in which we are called to live. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through 44. Again, these scriptures aren't new. We've heard them, but I want to put them back in front of you. And I, I can't force you all to sit down. You have to have a desire. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to give you the desire to truly treasure his word, to sit down with him, to meditate upon it, and to not just be hearers of it, but be doers of it. But I pray that these scriptures you would take this week and that you would spend time in them. Matthew 24, verse 36 through 44. However, Jesus' words. No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be... It will be like it was in Noah's day. In days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and partings and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize that what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill, and one will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected scriptures to encourage you all I mean how many people are sitting in churches hearing the word of God today being hearers but lacking being doers do you know how many people are going to get up and go back to their home and just be nasty be filled with anger be filled with contempt be filled with jealousy, be filled with lust, be filled with all of this junk. And yet they force their kids to go to church. For what reason? 
Nothing is, he's not honored in the home. How sad. We gotta wake up, you all. We, we have to do better. We have to uphold a standard. We have to speak the truth because the hour is unknown. It could be at any moment. And then, my God, how is he going to find you? How is he going to find me? He should find us rooted in him, waiting for him, our lamps filled, being about our Father's business, that we would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, not depart from me, you worker of sin. I don't know you. Do you know him? But ultimately the question is, does he know you? Are you in intimate fellowship with him? Oh, you ought to be. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. All over scripture this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 4. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 4. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So please do not... Allow mocking hinder your walk. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be hated. People are going to have all these accusations against Jesus, against God. They're going to have all these things that they want to try to lay out before you. But stand firm, you all. You don't have to be shaken. You don't have to fight back with them. Just live it out. Live it out. There's a lot of people fighting back. There's a lot of people saying the word. And yet their lives are just empty and void. And so that the people that they're fighting, trying to push righteousness on them, they look at them and go, there's nothing in your life. See, there should be something in your life. There should be fruit. You should have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. Understand this, not everyone is going to heaven. I know we like to think that and somehow that gives us some comfort, but not everyone is. 
and your wrestle and your fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's, it's, it is against the rulers and the principalities in the air of the darkness. And that's why I've asked you time and time again, are you engaging as you are submitting to God, praying for your loved ones, instead of talking down on them, instead of berating them when you have an opportunity. If most people would pray with the passion that they have when they speak against the person or over the person or about the person, they would probably see a difference in the person. Spend time in prayer. Focused prayer. Learn to pray. Understand how vital it is for a believer to pray. Understand how vital it is that you're rooted in Scripture, that you know Scripture. Because there's going to be those who are going to fall prey to the teachings of demons. I keep encouraging you, and you say, well, how can it be encouraging? But I keep encouraging you that as the days keep progressing, it's getting more darker out there, but in here and within you, you should be becoming more brighter. You should be able to go forth and engage in truth and in love. You should be able to stand and stand there for them. You should be able to go forth and declare the word of the Lord. You should be actively growing in faith, being discipled. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape the coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. These are Jesus' words. He didn't mince words to understand that we He's told us everything that's going to happen. And how is it that we've allowed ourselves to think that, oh, it's just about showing up for church, sitting in church, La, 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 Okay, I love you, Jesus. And be flippant about him and then just go back out and live however we want. When he tells us, like, hey, this is what's coming. Like, I'm sharing this with you. Like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in telling you exactly everything you need to know, who I am and who you are and what's to come. And remember, before we read Scripture, when he was telling them about the end times, he was telling them this is just the beginning. Like all those horrific events that he described, he was like, hey, hey, those are just the birth pains. Like what's about to come upon this earth? It's not good. And so why on earth has the church settled to make her home on this earth? And build these institutions that are void of God. Oh, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. Jesus himself says, stay alert. Pray at all times. 
that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Jesus' words. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. We heard that back in the other scriptures, but here it is again before us. We don't know the day or the hour. Today is the day to be right with God. And to live it out. To trust in Him. To love Him. Remember, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and body and strength, with everything about you. Learn to love Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Oh, how I pray that you know how to use your sword. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 13 through 15. Again, talking about false teachers. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who guide themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Again, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Everything's ultimately going to end up as it has been written. He does everything opposite of God. (laughs) The Antichrist is going to appear. He's going to do all these miraculous things. He's going to deceive many people. It's all in the name of unity and to worship me, bow down to me. And all along, he's killing them, deceiving them, stealing from them. And they are going to experience what was actually meant for Satan, the Antichrist, and the demons, eternal hell. Eternal hell. And again, Satan is in that, that ugly-looking beast. Who's that angel of... He, he's beautiful. And he can parade himself around I'm not. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. No wonder his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. But in the end, they're going to get what was meant for them. None of this has taken God by surprise, you all. If you are in Christ, you are on the winning side. You don't live your life out of a place of defeat. You live your life out of the place of his victory. That's why the Bible says, that's why you have, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. That's why you must be engaged with this. 
so that when thoughts come that are contrary to his truth, you're pulling them down as the Bible says. You're taking them captive and you're bringing those thoughts into the under his obedience, under his lordship. And you're growing, you're maturing. Listen, it sounds crazy, but it's what it is. You actively are engaging. You have to be mindful of what you're thinking about. Because again, you, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is the only way to renew it. By knowing truth. So that you can engage with it. I once was, but I'm no longer. So when the things try to come around, you know. I once enjoyed that, but I no longer. There's nothing there for me. When you begin to see yourself whole in Christ, that's why the Bible says to put on Christ, that you are seated with Christ. You you know your new identity. It is in Christ. And there's so much joy, there's so much hope that can be found in Christ. And that's why others should see us different. When the world is going to hell, everything's being turned upside down. People should look at your life and go, Why aren't you reacting? I don't need to react. I know in whom I belong to. Yes, I have problems, but my problems don't have me. It's not that you're living this weird, out-of-touch reality. No, but you're in Christ. You're in Christ. That's why I'm always amazed by our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted when the gun's at their head or the machete's at their head or their wife's being raped in front of them, the kids are being dismembered, turn from Christ, denounce Christ. Just say no to Christ and we'll stop. I'm not going to say no to Christ. Kill me, do what you want. My confidence is in Christ. I mean, come on, you all. Your confidence in Christ Go to 2 Corinthians. Nope, we already did that. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 39. No, I pray that you're encouraged this morning. If not, I pray that the Holy Spirit would enlighten you, that you would get encouraged as you hear His Word. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 39. Peter's words pierced their heart, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And oh, how we should be praying for our co-workers, for our friends, for our families, 
for the stranger out on the street that's running amok. The scales would fall from their eyes. They would begin to see Christ. Oh, I pray that you're actively engaging in prayer. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verse 21 through 22. For there would be great, greater anguish than at any time since the world began. Jesus' words about the end times. For there would be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, Not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Listen, his eyes are upon us. He knows what we're facing. He knows what's ahead of us. He has called us. He has chosen us. He has purposed us. He has created us. He knows everything about us. He is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. And he has equipped us to go forth in this generation to bear his image. Do you understand that your life has a purpose? And it's not to be shattered and broken and defined by all the junk that's in the past. It is to be defined by Christ. If I would allow my past to define me, I wouldn't be standing here. I wouldn't care about Christ or you. (laughs) I would be about my business. I would run amok. (laughs) Things that are presented to us, things that are to draw us back, you can look at it and go, "Ah, it's not even, no, there's nothing there. Why would I trade all that I am and the wholeness that I have in Christ to go back to whatever's behind you? So you got to get secured in Christ or you're going to fall for everything. You got to know that you know that you know you all. God, I hope that your confidence is in Christ. Go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. I thought about it last night. Oh, I should cut some of these scriptures out, but I just couldn't. So we're keeping them. Just got one more after this. But Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all his angels. Do you understand who's causing all the issues, you all? And yet it hasn't taken God by surprise. Listen, we win because Christ has already won. It would do us good in the mornings when we get up just to announce it as he announced it. It is finished. I know that sin is crouching out my door and its desire is to master me, but I, through Christ, have learned how to master it. I'm not a slave to it any longer. 
I'm a slave to righteousness because I'm a son of God. Oh, God, are you speaking this way? Or do you just come to church? Are you speaking it over your loved ones? Are you on your knees? Are you praying? Are you warfaring? Are you engaging in your spiritual life because you've been born again? Or is it just church? I read my Bible. I say my prayers. You can be as repetitive as you want reading your Bible. You can be as repetitive as you want saying your prayers. You can be repetitive as you want to listening to audio scripture. You can be repetitive as you want having fellowship with the saints. You can be repetitive all as you want. But if it's not who you are, understand it means nothing. It means nothing in the end. And for what? what? We've got to wake up, you all. There is a war raging around us. And the earth is violently shaking, but it's going to get worse. Tell us something better. <laughs> Jesus is coming. <laughs> it has to. All of this has to happen. And that's why we should be encouraged as we're seeing these signs, again, years ago, okay, we heard, okay, we all probably went through a revelation course, okay, uh, you know, okay, the one word, or, you know, outside the church, when I wasn't in the church, they all sounded crazy to me, or like that will ever happen. Oh, but for God's sakes, you woke up today, <laughs> and it's being promoted all over the world, how we all need to become one. The rulers need to rule. All the stuff that is aligning up, you can't make this up anymore. And it's all captured right here. And we just want to show up when it's comfortable for us. Oh, I'm here. Oh, we should be hungering. We should be thirsting. We should be ready. We should be engaging. We should be getting discipled. We should be moving and advancing forward. We're not called to be defeated. Revelation 22, verse 12 through 21. We read these a few weeks ago. But I want to get them back before us. And again, oh God, I pray that you're getting in Scripture. Oh, how I'd love to see more people engaging on Wednesday nights. Rather it's in person, rather it's on the Zoom. But engaging and growing in the Word. Going deeper in the Word. Asking questions giving input, giving insight, bringing encouragement. Like there's so much more than just hearing. It's actually doing chapter 22, verse 12 through 21. Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. Bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers. And listen to that. Oh, before we point our fingers to all of them. All who love to live a lie. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. Then John completes this as the Spirit gives him inspiration. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty Come, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the pledge described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. He who is faithful witness, he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, and that is Jesus, in Jesus' words, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Oh, and how the church should say amen. Amen. There is a way in which... We are called to live, you all. And God, I pray. Again, I, can't, I, can't, I can lead you to freedom. I can point you to Christ, but I can't put you in Him. I can't force you to, to, to live for Him. I can just continue to encourage you in hopes that you would respond to Him. Not to me, but to Him. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to wrap up on our scriptures as we're walking through scriptures again in hopes to know our God better. 2 Samuel chapter 9 is where we're heading. And I, I, I think I shared last week and I'll continue to encourage us, don't miss out on the importance of knowing this portion of scripture. Because is this all... It's be, all of this that we're about to read needed to happen in order to accomplish what we just read. David's throne had to be established. Because that is the lineage that the Messiah is coming through. Israel was selected out of all the nations to be God's people, to bring forth the Messiah. But it just wasn't all about Israel. It was about the nations, all people. All people, God is for, and God loves his creation, and he longs for them. And you see him all through the Old Testament longing. You see the heart of God. And again, all of you should be able to repeat this, and all of you know this. God's plan, God's purpose, from the beginning to the end, that he will have a people, that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. His plan, his purpose. So this is exciting as you're reading this rich history of how God is faithful to what God has purposed and planned. And if he was faithful then, he's faithful today, he's faithful tomorrow. He's not going to change. Chapter 9. One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Oh, you remember Jonathan? Yeah. 
and their pledge to each other. David remembered. And listen, that is not normal for a king in that day and age to ask if there's another member of a family from the other king. He, he's, David is, is, is like an image of Christ. And this is really beautiful, you all. This picture that we're about to see. If, uh, before we move on, I'll save that for a minute. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king said? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Mirkir, son of Amiel. And so David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. His name was Meshibotseph. His He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, Greetings, Meshibotseph. I'm not going to say his name anymore. I'm going to keep butchering him. <laughs> and then he replied, Look how he replied, I am your servant. And David picked up on something. Don't be afraid. You can only imagine what this guy was thinking. Like, oh, he's going to kill me. He probably thinks I'm a threat to his throne because I was, I'm Jonathan's son. Saul is my grandfather. I should be on the throne. And David recognized it. Don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. You understand what just happened? He was restored. Isn't that what Christ does for us? He calls us into his presence. We humble ourselves before him. And he restores us for no reason unto us. It's nothing that we've done. It's just his loving kindness. And then, not only that, David treated this guy as his own son. I've adopted you. I've taken you in. I've got you now. Even though you're crippled in your lane, and in our society at this point, there's of no value to your life, but there's value. And listen, y'all, don't miss that today. Because I don't know what your background is, where you've been, what you've done, what you've hidden. But God sees it. And God calls you out. So this guy bowed respectfully, respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then, king, then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons, our servants are, you and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But this guy, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. 
And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own, own sons. And then Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. I'm telling you, such a beautiful picture of restoration. And you can see Christ all through it. Chapter 10. Sometime after the king, sometime after this, King Nahash of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun became king. David said, I'm going to show loyalty to Hanun, just as his father Nahash was always loyal to me. So David sent ambassadors to express sympathy to Hanun about his father's death. But when David's ambassadors arrived in the land of Ammon, the Ammonite commander said to Hanun, their master, Do you really think that these men are coming here to honor your father? No. David has sent them to spy out the city so that they can come in and conquer it. So Hanun seized David's ambassadors, shaved off half of their man, each man's beard, cut off their robes at the buttocks, and sent them back to David in shame. When David heard what had happened, he sent messengers to tell the men, stay at Jericho until your beard grows back and then come back. For they felt deep shame because of their appearance. When the people of Ammon realized how seriously they had angered David, they sent and hired 20,000 Armenian foot soldiers from the lands of Beth, Rohab, and Zobah. A thousand from the king of Makkah and twelve thousand from the land of Tob. When David heard about this, he sent Joab, all of his warriors, to fight them. The Ammonite troops came out and drew up their battle lines at the entrance of the city gate, while the Armenians from Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Makkah positioned themselves to fight in the open fields. When Joab saw what he could have to fight, I'm sorry, when Joab saw that he would have to fight on both the front and the rear, he chose some of the Israelites' elite troops and placed them under his personal command to fight the Armenians in the fields. He left the rest of the army under the command of his brother Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. If the Armenians were too strong for me, then come over and help me, Joab told his brother. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will come and help you. Be courageous! Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. When Joab and his troops attacked, the Armenians began to run away. And when the Ammonites saw that the Armenians were running, they ran from Ashbia and retreated into the city. After the battle was over, Joab returned to Jerusalem. The Armenians now realized that they were no match for Israel. So when they regrouped, they were joined by additional Armenian troops summoned by this guy and from the other side of the Euphrates River. These troops arrived at Halam under the command of Sopak, the commander of Hadassir's forces. When David heard what has happened, he mobilized all of Israel, crossed the Jordan River, and led the army to Halam. The Armenians positioned themselves in battle formation and fought against David. But again, the Armenians fled from the Israelites. This time, David's forces killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers, including Sobak, the commander of the army. 
when all of the kings allied with Hadassir saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they surrendered to Israel and became their subjects. After that, the Armenians were afraid to help the Ammonites. Leading up to chapter 11. And before we cross into chapter 11, we need to get a good grounding. David is on the throne, purposed by God, honoring God. Not in all things, though. He was a man of war, not because he had bad intentions, but that's what God called him for. He also was a man who had a heart towards God. You see his loving compassion and his kindness. You see him engaging. And people didn't know what to do with that type of king. That's why this other commander told the, the king, wait, do you really think David's sending them here to show, show compassion or, or to, 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 to be nice? No, he's here because he's scouting out to overtake us. They weren't used to this type of behavior of a king in that day and age. And now as we pick up into this next chapter, we're going to see David in a place where he shouldn't have been. The place where David has always been was with his troops. And now we're going to find that he sent his troops forward and he decides to stay back for whatever reason. And just as intense the battle was on the field, on the battlefield, so it is in the palace. And David fell under the influence of that which was battling against him. That which he had not surrendered over to God, lust. And those who deal with lust, whether you're a man or a woman, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to free you from it. Or it will take hold like a ruthless enemy and destroy you. There's nothing good that can come from it. And when your idol is the worst, if you're living an idol life, most people who have addictions to lust or to pornography or to a craze-filled mind bound by lust is because they're too idle. And they're surely not abiding in Christ, allowing Christ to transform them. In the spring of the year, chapter 11, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. One more thing I will point out to you. Usually, when, when, when the writings of kings back in those days, you never talked about their failures. If you look at other kings from that time, not just Israel, but the kings, you would never, if you go back and you study them, you would, there's never, nothing's ever written about their failure. But here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we get to see the failure of a great king. And one last thing as we're reading this, sin no matter how small you think it is, sin covered up always leads to greater sin. Don't think you're keeping something hidden or unrepentive as in, and think that it's not going to bear any fruit. Oh, it will bear fruit. But it'll, be, it'll bear fruit of destruction because it leads you to greater sin. 
David should have been with his army, but he was home. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. Now David should have stopped there because he knows who Uriah is. But no, what David wanted, David was going to get. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army was getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go home and relax. David sent, him a gift. David sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace, but Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Uriah knew where he belonged. If the other men, the other soldiers weren't home to be with their wives, he wasn't going to go. He was a man of character. He wasn't going to go. He was going to be where he needed to be. So he laid there. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then he he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Again, David is trying to cover up his sin. If he can get Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba, then they would believe Uriah will come to think that the child is his. David is exhausting himself and covering this up. Understand, we have this other man who has the same urges as a man, but has the self-control not to give in, to go be with his wife. Self-control is available. Lust does not have to rule your life. You just don't have to give in because it's flickering or blazing within you. You can learn how to live right. David should have known, but David gave in to the lust. This man, he had self-control over his own body. And I'm sure as much as he would have desired to go down to be with his wife, he understood his place as a soldier. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and 
gave it to Uriah to deliver. Listen to this. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. Now David is a murderer. So Joab assigned Uriah to spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. So not only was Uriah killed, now we've lost other soldiers because David was covering up his sin. Listen, your sin just doesn't affect you. It affects your children. It affects everything around you and everyone around you. One way or another. And how sad. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messengers, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? They didn't know there were... They, didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebas by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messengers went to Jerusalem and gave a report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said. And as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Jake Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Sin brings about nothing good. It might feel good for a moment. It might feel good for this day or that day. But in the end, nothing's coming from it, you all. Nothing good comes from the works of the flesh. It always leads to death. I keep encouraging us that. We're not to live by the flesh and the dictates and the cravings of the flesh because the very nature in which you were born into that is at war with the spirit, the flesh, only wants to die. And David should have chosen better, but he didn't. He gave in. He gave in, and ultimately, we will now begin to see the consequences of sin because God is displeased with what David has done. Go to John chapter 15. John 15. Jesus' words, I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by my message I gave you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. 
and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Oh, that the church would hear. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me has thrown away, I'm sorry, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slave, slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. And please don't read this as if he's just speaking to them. He's speaking to us today. This is the living word of God. If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all these things to you because of me. They they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Oh, the blessed hope of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God in you. If you're a Christian, if you've been born again, God in you. The Bible says don't live a life that grieves him. We're to be in step with him, walking in the spirit so we're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. We're to be growing, we're to be maturing, we're to be steadfast, we're to be persevering, we're to be looking up. For our redemption is drawing near. And oh, how we can praise him each and every single day. 
And that we can remember that it's nothing of, our, of ourselves, but it's all of Him. He does the work in and through us. He is faithful to, 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 the, to the works of His hands. He will not neglect the work of His fingers. We are His work. He chose us, not because of anything of us, but because He formed us. He fashioned us. He knows us. And oh, that we will live for Him. Psalm 119 is where we're heading. Find encouragement in the book of Psalms. Psalm 119, verses 49 through 64. Oh, that we will have the heart of a psalmist. (laughs) Oh, I would encourage you to journal. Write. Write out your love for God. Write out and testify of how good he's been. Write out how you are enduring the the most challenging seasons, but how you're looking up and trusting in your God. And we can get encouraged by reading the penned words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to the psalmist to be captured so that we can have them for us today. Psalm 119, verse 49 through 64. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise, look at this. Ah, I love this. Revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. The proud hold me in utter contempt. But I do not turn away from your instructions. I meditate on your, I meditate on your old age regulations. Oh Lord, they comfort me. I become furious with the wicked. Because they reject your instructions. Your decrees have been the theme, I love this, of my songs. Wherever I have lived, I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. This is how I spend my life, obeying your commandments. Lord, you are mine. I promise to obey your words. With all my heart, I, was, I want your blessings. Be merciful as you have promised. I ponder the direction of my life, and I turned to follow your laws. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Evil people tried to drag me into sin, but, oh my goodness, but I am firmly anchored to your instructions. I rise at midnight to thank you for, for your just regulations. I am a friend to anyone who fears you. Anyone who obeys your commandments. Oh Lord, your unfailing love fills the earth. Teach me your decrees. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful portion of psalms to meditate upon. And if you don't have that type of desire for God, you don't have that intimate fellowship, would you seek him? Would you ask for that? Would you look up to Him? Long to be in His presence. To trust Him. And to meditate upon His goodness. Closing Proverbs 16. We're going to throw three nuggets of wisdom out. Though you've heard wisdom all morning long. Proverbs 16. The last three. One through three. The book of wisdom, and oh how we need it in this day and age. We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answers. People may be pure in their own eyes, 
But the Lord examines their motives. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Oh, that we would not look at our lives through our own eyes. And somehow find ourselves to be okay when the reality is we know good and well our hearts aren't. The heart is what God looks upon. And oh, how I pray your heart is toward him. I will close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.